0: Welcome to UbuDub, the third episode where our guest is Robert Wheeler, synth and theremin player with Perubu for over 20 years. As always, though, we'll start with soundcheck. Started with Mary had a little lamb, and that's very poignant for you and your family, isn't it? Well, yes, it is. The first words ever recorded were Thomas
1: Edison saying "Mary had a little lamb," and he's my great-great-grandmother's famous little brother. He uh, he did well. Uh, I am, so I'm a great-great-grandnephew of Thomas Edison and I am president of the Edison Birthplace Association uh, in Milan, Ohio, and we live in his sister, his oldest sister Marion's house on her farm.
0: Was that uh, part of the reason why you started getting interested in electronica? I don't,
1: not necessarily. I got into electronics because by the time I turned 21, I didn't have a skill And I said, I need to do something. And a friend of my father said, you should know how to do something with your hands. And I was good in math and science and it looked like electronics was going to be big. This would be in like 1979.
0: And what year did you join Perubu? Mm,
1: 94.
0: Um, But you had a long history with them before that, right? You went to school with David's brother?
1: David's little brother, Alan, and I went to school from kindergarten through high school. I remember David when I was about first grade. He'd be about sixth grade. And when you're a first grader, a sixth grader is like, you know, like almost an adult, you know? They're like, what, 12? (laughs) But uh, David was an imposing figure back then. It was like, that's Alan's brother.
0: And his dad also taught you, didn't he?
1: Yeah, I had his dad for English. I knew some people who had helped finance the early... First two Peru 45s, the Ernsts, and uh, one of them said, "Oh, you gotta take David's dad. He's such a cool guy." So I took his dad for. I had him for a couple of classes. He was a teacher at Tri-C Metro. He was really tough. He was really good. He was really fair, but he did not care for slackers or you know people who just didn't try.
0: He had high standards. Yeah. I heard once he could speak seven languages fluently,
1: from Arabic obviously the French, Italian, Spanish, but I think it was Arabic and I don't know if Japanese was in there. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Pretty neat guy. I mean, he looked like Orson Welles. He was real quiet.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but Ubu was hitting Europe at the time and he, David would be often on the cover or the whole band. I specifically remember David on some, unlike on uh, New Musical Express or Sounds. He'd be on the, the front page of the music newspapers. And I take him into his dad, and his dad was like, oh, thanks. No one else, no one shows me these. <laughs>
0: That's I think he so was pretty cute. proud of Dave. Um, so, when did you hit first here, Peru Oh, I'm
1: guessing it was November 11th, 1976. <laughs> oh, you're or guessing it
0: was November the 11th.
1: <laughs> <laughs> On a Thursday. <laughs> I went to Hideo's Disco Droma, later known as the Droma Record Store done by John Thompson and some other, or John was the, the owner-operator, but there were some really great people who worked there. Uh, Peter Lochner worked there for a while. The 45, 30 Seconds Over Tokyo came out, and it was in the rack, and Johnny was like, oh, you could buy the record for $1.98 and you get two songs, or for $1.50 at night, you can go see him play a whole set. So I'm pretty frugal with my money. I didn't have much then, and... Uh, I opted for the full set of music and I went down to the flats by myself. It was a pretty dark place. It was kind of scary at the time. Um, It was not a hangout. It was where the homeless people live sometimes. You know, you're in the abandoned warehouses and stuff. And this was at the end by the mouth of the river, a place called Pirate's Cove. And a few cars parked out front and you go in and you pay your dollar fifty. And I heard the most wonderful music. These people who looked rather normal playing the most, not abnormal, but uni- <laughs> unique music that, that, that wasn't weird. And they, they didn't look weird, but they just had this total different approach to stuff.
0: the audience like
1: oh boy i met chris yarmouth there was jim jones cheetah chrome chrissy hind would be at some of the early shows
0: uh-huh.
1: pretty small i'm guessing i don't know 30 40 50 people
0: and was it a drunken affair? Did people dance or move or, or what? what was the atmosphere like?
1: Um, don't remember a whole lot. I remember Cheeto dropping his pants and mooning people.
0: <laughs> Nothing's changed there then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would go as you walked out, a lot of the band I'm thinking it would be like probably Tom, Scott and Tony would be at the door and say thank you for coming and drive safely and it was like they weren't aloof rock stars they were just really nice normal kind of people who just did things in a totally different way that was so exciting Alan watching him play looked like he's almost flying a plane just standing there turning his knobs you know yeah and just doing these amazing sounds. I had been in a bad car wreck at one point and uh, put me in the hospital for three months. My mom would go to the drone to buy records for me and Peter Lochner would recommend different stuff for me. So she was like, Hell oh, he's such a nice guy. I had a small settlement and I, and I talked to Alan about w- what kind of scent I was looking at either getting a Bukola or an EML. And he was like, EML, EML. And I had gone to Pi Corporation, which was a synth place in Cleveland uh basically one guy david yost worked there and buzz and you walk up these steps and you walk in this room and there's all these scents and they're blinking lights and he's in the back room with solder and fixing stuff and it's got that smell of warm resistors and red blinking lights and these amazing sounds i said how'd you learn this stuff and he said i took electronics i was like well i guess that's my path (laughs) because this is just so exciting and what i want to do so That was a wise choice, by the way.
0: So how does that fast forward to you being asked to join Pairu Boo?
1: i have been asked to join Home and Garden, which was Scott Krause. Tony had left Home and Garden at that point, but that was Scott Krause and Jim Jones and singer Jeff Morrison and Michelle Temple and I both started the same night. I'd been in Home and Garden for some years. Ubu had restarted up. Scott was playing with Pairu Boo. And they need somebody to replace Tony. And they asked me, and I was recently married. I don't know if I had Alex yet. I think my daughter had been born, maybe not. And I was just like, oh, I got this job, this farm. As I'm married, I can't do it now. And they asked again, that was when Garrow came on. Then they Garrow left and Scott asked me again, and I said, oh, I, I, just, I, I, I can't, you know, I've got all this stuff going on. And that's when they asked Eric Drew Feldman. And then Eric did some work with Pixies and left and... Scott asked me again, and my wife Linda was like, you know, if this is what you want to do. They've asked you, this will be the third time. They're not going to ask, keep asking you. If you want to do this, you better do it. So I said yes, and I got asked to go to the, uh, it was recording Ray Gun suitcase. It was really nice, because I'm playing with Jimmy and Michelle. We didn't have a drummer for the the record. Scott Krause adopted at that point not to in it it was just so nice playing with Jimmy and Michelle. Like we did the song Horse was just us live track just playing and I remember David had a wireless remote and turned on the recorders as we were just playing and it came out to be the song Horse.
0: Was that at Summa?
1: That was at Summa.
0: Uh-huh. And so you were working with Paul Haman or his dad at that stage?
1: Paul at that point. I had met Paul and his dad years before when I had been invited to the Modern Dance Mixdowns.
0: How were you invited to the Modern Dance Mixdowns?
1: If you want something, you ask for it.
0: That's very true. That's very,
1: very true. Can I come and... uh. <laughs> David said, not to the recording, but maybe to the mix downs. So I was allowed to go out one evening, and I remember they did Over My Head, and I don't remember the other piece, but sitting in that control room with those big JBL monitors and just hearing that scent at the beginning, rise and rise, break and fall,
0: and it was just, oh, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. Uh, I mean, I've Again, s-
1: that was a turning point. This is like this is what I want to do, but yeah. I didn't have the, the the thought that I could even do that kind of stuff. But it's you're just drawn to it, like a a moth toward the flame.
0: And I mean, I've sat in on on a few sessions in Sumer and everything. Was it as tortuous then for absolute perfection as it became in later years? Oh, it was worse. It was it worse? How could it be worse? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I remember one point. I think it was vacuum in my head, vacuum cleaner in my head. In the very beginning, it sounds like a guitar. Was me on keyboards? It was. I was doing a sampler, but that like feedback, the little melody with the feedback. Yeah. And I, I wasn't able to get it right. And David had pizza delivered, and they're all behind the glass in the control room. And I'm, my blood sugar is dropping, and he's like, this is really good pizza, you can have some when you finish. <laughs> when you get it right, you can come in. And I would go, it's over and over. Not right, and the pizza's disappearing now, you know. It's <laughs> they're getting scarfed up, and Robert's struggling to make that part work. And it came out just fine.
0: I'm making the presumption that when you joined Perubu, you hadn't really moved much outside of Ohio and so what it was what was it like when you first started touring with these guys and adjusting to life on the road?
1: Oh, uh, pretty fresh, pretty exciting, really nerve-wracking because I didn't know what I would need. but after about you know three or four times traveling overseas you started to get a real feel of oh, I don't need that, but I need more of this. I did learn to make backup settings. I remember one of our early shows, I think it was in London, somebody jumped up on stage and snatched all my, my EML patch settings, which was Really? I got a backup. I hope but some... that would happen a lot more early on where people would jump on stage and grab your papers.
0: Yeah, I think it might take them a bit of a hitch up nowadays and <laughs> <laughs> So how Is touring different nowadays to touring in those days, apart from the fact that you don't need so many clothes?
1: (laughs) Uh, David has hammered us into a a machine. Uh Everybody knows their task. I don't have to be told to clean up the van and get the food scraps out. I don't need to be told to get out, check the oil and wash the mirrors in the windshield this is what you do you know your task the more rules there are the freer we are
0: the key question if you could choose one favorite pair Ubu track what would it be
1: the one that always hit me the hardest was um oh now i'm blanking (laughs) my dark ages that bass line of Tony's is just sublime Uh, and then Tom's guitar I used to say the best part of playing Peribou is I get to see him play every night and I got a really great spot to watch Tom play those leads on that song I just love the way his guitar it's like lifts up like angels that just are circling the earth and then that just changes into wasps that dive bomb down and sting and and cause pain and it's just that but that bass line going through everything just gives me thrills and chills never get tired of it
0: be honest though i've noticed this about perubu live much more than i have any other band nearly every show or at least every tour that goes out the musicians are so free to make the song whatever it's going to be in that moment that it does sound different sometimes it sounds better than the studio album you know and i
1: often think it does myself yeah
0: yeah and that's well,
1: there's not... a, a, just that edge of liveness because we don't. I'm not to play parts, you know. I don't play the same. You know, some things you do, like I said, the repetitious part on, on My Dark Ages, but other times it should be fresh and exciting.
0: And it is, definitely. It's not,
1: yeah, it's supposed to be in the moment, live every night.
0: Yeah. I think
1: one big thing of that is we don't rehearse hardly at all you're supposed to know your parts when you show up and it's just a run through thing for, for timing pretty much a lot uh, you know you gotta tweak some guitar parts or something but for the most
0: part you're supposed to know your, your what you're doing when you show up yeah
1: it's not the time to start learning the song
0: so you tell us about the new album
1: oh I really like the new record I didn't I had it was difficult at first, but I, I really grew to like it, and some tracks just really stand out. And It's funny, I was down cleaning the donkey st- the horse and donkey stalls one day, and I got this melody going through my head, and it's like, what is that? I really like that song. It's like, oh, that's Keith's guitar part.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it is completely different from 20 years, isn't it? Completely different.
1: It is. Most Ubu records are. They're completely different than the one before them.
0: But I think I think with this one, I don't know. I, it's it's much more cinematic, I suppose. In a way, it's much more of a landscape. It's got a lot more synths on it, a lot more synths. Mm,
1: that's worth bonus points right there, isn't
0: it? What What's your high point of the album?
1: Oh boy, there's some songs that really just stick with me. I just love the hooks or the the pieces because they all start repeating in my head, and I'll think, I have to think, yeah, you know, what. Who is this? Oh, that's the new Perubu record. Uh, Pop Radio really sticks out for me. Uh, World as We Know It, Fortunate Son, and Road Ahead, all for me are real standout tracks. (laughs)
0: Cool. Hey! <laughs> really does have um a weird tribal industrial tone pretty much all the way through it there's some pretty long tracks on there and of course perubu have always had that where do you think that comes from
1: boy if you spend a lot of time in cleveland especially probably in the 60s or 70s it was a big industrial town and it was starting on its decay so it's just the ambience that surrounds you I was always really heavily influenced by kabuki music. Um, my mom, when I was three, my mom got me the Azuma Kabuki Musicians. It was recorded in 1953, and it was a live performance of them. They set up microphones on stage, so you have all the natural ambiance. And the music they played was just so cool. It's Even as a little kid, I mean, I, I got... Images from it, and you can't understand words. Obviously, it's in Japanese, but it's not. I mean, they're they're more like there's not so many words. It's it's guttural utterances. But the way that the kotos are just start driving and dum 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 don and bending notes and and speeding up and slowing down and creating climaxes and then pause and then calm and then tension and then calm i get a lot of my musical influence i think from from that kabuki record
0: you see that might be the difference between cleveland and the rest of the world you get bought a kabuki record at the age of three and i got the Wombles.
1: (laughs) (laughs) that sure will kill your your cultural reference there
0: (laughs) anyway it's been lovely talking with you robert and i can't wait to see you bringing the new album live on stage oh thanks me too okay Um, So, Robert, give us one track that you want to be played out to.
1: We could go with Mr. Wheeler. Um, That's an interesting one. The the beginning of the song was the jam when we were making the song, and then it pauses, and then you hear the studio version.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: And the audio track comes from, I had been on the Today Show with Brian Gumball, Not Gumball, Gumball.
0: Who was he? He was the... Today's show is a
1: big thing in the States. It's the NBC morning show. Uh Live from New York. And they had remote cameras set up in Milan. And he's in New York interviewing me. He can see me. I can't see him. Do you think anybody gives you a cue like, you're going to be live in three, two? (laughs) No, they don't do that. The good news is I wasn't like scratching myself or picking up parts of my body or anything, but all of a sudden I'm alive and we're chatting and, and he said, you know, if Edison Birthplace is having trouble staying open, maybe they shouldn't be open. You know, what's what value, you know? And I went to dead air. I didn't have a comeback. Obviously, the correct answer would have been, Brian, who do you work for in BC? That's a subsidiary of General Electric. That was Edison's General Electric. You wouldn't have a job without this guy's technology, the corporations he starts. But none of that comes to mind when you're in front of, you know, 30 million viewers. (laughs) But I did get a phone call on my machine from a guy, I think it was from West Virginia, it was Mr. Wheeler I have an old light bulb been in my family for 75 years and he wanted to know he wanted to donate it to the birthplace or if I wanted to buy it and I referred him to a light bulb museum in Vermont but um, I took I sampled him on my on my um, ASR and sonic keyboard and mapped him across different parts of his talk across my keyboard so that when we played the song I could just play his vocal track.